2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the old has gone, the new has come. In the weeks leading up to Christmas, we are unwrapping the only gift that will never fade over time, the offer that Jesus makes that's summarized in this verse, the offer of making us into a new creation. It all begins with a new heart, and that's where we started a couple of weeks ago. If we decide to follow Jesus and give our lives to him, a change takes place at the very center of who we are. We're given a new desire and a new power to change. And over time, if we cooperate with this new heart, we will find that the newness expands out from the center of who we are and begins to take over the different parts of our life. We'll we'll get a new mouth and a new set of ears and a new spine and new eyes to match our new heart. Last week, Elliot spoke with you about the new mouth, and today we're going to talk about the new ears. When our two kids were young, it was amazing how intermittent their hearing was. I'd tell them to go brush their teeth, for example, only discover when I was tucking them into bed, guess what? They had not brushed their teeth. Their excuse was, you probably know, well, Daddy, I didn't hear you. But if we were just to say the word Disneyland from the other side of the house, they would come running and wondering when we were going. Clearly, there, there was absolutely nothing wrong with their physical ability to hear. So why is it that they, they seem to be able to hear one thing and not the other? Well, the answer is pretty obvious. It's because they wanted to do one thing and they didn't want to do the other. Like us, their hearing was selective. So why is it that our hearing tends to be so selective? Our ears perk up in certain circumstances and seem to really go dull in other circumstances. Well, the reason is because it turns out that there's an invisible connection between our heart and our ears. Now, this intermittent hearing thing doesn't just occur in relationships here on earth between people. It occurs, really, this phenomenon occurs in our relationship with God as well. God has spoken clearly, but often we just don't hear what he said, and the reason is because, well, honestly, we don't want to. The clearest words that God ever spoke occurred when he took on a body with vocal cords, came to earth, and talked. His name was Jesus, and when Jesus spoke, there really was no missing what he said. His words were often accompanied with miracles to give proof that This wasn't just someone speaking on behalf of God. This was actually God, in physical form, talking. And often after Jesus spoke, he would conclude by saying these words. We read them in Mark 4, verse 9. He would say, he who has ears, let them hear. I wasn't talking about the physical barriers that would keep people from hearing the words that he said. He was talking about all of the personal barriers and defenses that people put up that would keep them from hearing and understanding and doing his words. He knew that out of a crowd of thousands that had come to to see him perform miracles and and maybe heal them or heal other sick people, he knew that out of a crowd of thousands, there, there would only be a few, a limited few who would really hear and understand and act on what he just said. And that's really always the way it's been when God speaks. And it's really still that way today. Very few people take the time to listen. Not not many will take time out of their busy day today to show up 
here or at any other church and listen to God's words. You have. And that's pretty rare. It's always been rare. And there are even fewer, fewer who not only will show up, but will actually take a step of action based on something that God says today. So if you take something out of what God says to you today and you put it into practice, you are a rare bird. You're very, very unusual in a good way. Now, why, why is there so much resistance to hearing God's words? Well, there are three hearing barriers between us and God's words. They parallel the, the barriers between you and words spoken to you by anybody else. These are the three barriers. There's the volume barrier, there's the language barrier, and then there's the agenda barrier. Let's look at these in turn. First of all, the volume barrier. The most obvious barrier is this one. The most obvious barrier to hearing occurs whenever what is said isn't loud enough for people to hear it, and so they actually would say, I, I didn't hear you. This is why, for example, my voice is being amplified through these speakers today. In a room this size with this many people, if I just stood up here and spoke in a normal voice without any amplification, many of you would, especially those further in the back, would just not really be able to hear very many of my words. So I've, we've turned up the volume so that you can actually physically hear what I'm saying. Now, God doesn't have a volume problem. He doesn't need amplification to speak. He, he could speak loud enough for everybody to hear. But God has made a volume decision. God has decided not to speak loudly, but softly. God makes this point very clear to Elijah in the Old Testament. Elijah was a prophet of God at a time when the queen of the day had ordered the execution of all of God's prophets. And so Elijah had spent the previous three years living in the wilderness, going from one hiding place to another, really getting only one-line sentences of instruction from God. All he really heard from God at this time, and he was the prophet of God, was Elijah move to this brook, Elijah go to this place. That's all he'd really heard from God for three years. Now finally, God had set up a confrontation between Elijah and all of the prophets of Baal, which was the popular God of the day. And miraculously, God had sent lightning from heaven, proving that he was the one true God and this idol was just a false God. But instead of turning the heart of the queen, it had enraged her. And now Elijah was being aggressively hunted. Now at this point, Elijah's had enough of this life. And he's had enough of the one line at a time, next step at a time, instructions from God. And so he heads out to the desert, running from the pursuit. And he gets under a tree in the middle of the desert, in the shade, and he just simply tells God, look, I'm ready to die. Just take my life. I, I've, I've had it. I've had enough of this. And God tells him to go to a mountain. This is yet another one line, next step, instruction. But this time, Elijah's pretty hopeful because this isn't just any mountain that God tells him to go to. This is the exact same mountain where God spoke to Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. And so this mountain is now referred to as the mountain of God. And Elijah, he, he wants a full explanation from God about what's going on. And this seems to be the place where God gives more than just 
next step, one line instructions. And so Elijah is very hopeful that once he gets to the mountain of God, the place where God seems to be speaking most at this time in history, that, that there'll be a lot of information that he'll get from God. And he'll understand really what's going on. And so he makes his way to this mountain. And once Elijah gets to the mountain, this is what we read about what occurs. 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. You can just imagine Elijah's just, finally, I'm going to get some answers. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. That's a pretty powerful wind to split rocks. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. There was no words. Nothing came out of the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he, he pulled his cloak over his face. He'd been hiding in a cave to get away from the wind and the earthquake and the fire. He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave, and then God spoke to him in this gentle whisper. And what God tells him to do is he just simply tells Elijah to go back the way he came and to anoint three future leaders. That's it. That's all God says. More next step instructions. Not a full description of what's going on and why life is so hard for Elijah. Just, Elijah, just do this next. Basically, go back to where you came from and do these three things. Now, why did God make Elijah trek all the way to that mountain just to tell him to go back? I mean, he could have given him these three instructions where he was and saved this this tremendously long trip across a treacherous desert. Well, but the reason God did this was to make something very clear to both Elijah and to us who would read this, that his chosen method of speaking is low volume. Low in really both kinds of volume. In decibels, and in quantity, in the, the volume of his words and the number of his words. Why would God choose to speak in a gentle whisper? Well, God's words are an invitation to a relationship with him. And yelling is no way to begin or to build a relationship, is it? If you start yelling at somebody, your relationship is in trouble. If that's your opening line, there is going to be no relationship. That's no way to begin a relationship or to build one. The reason is because relationships have to be freely chosen. You know, paying attention to a wind that's strong enough to split rocks, that's technically not a choice. You know, if that ever happened, your turning of your head to that direction of the wind would really not be a choice. It would demand your attention, just like an earthquake would or a wildfire does. And so God doesn't speak that way because he doesn't, he's not looking for our attention. He doesn't need our attention. He is offering us a relationship. So he speaks with a gentle whisper. And that ensures that only those who want to really know who he is and do life his way will bother to slow down long enough to listen to his words. This past summer, my wife and I realized that we had developed a, a pretty bad habit in our relationship. And the habit was yelling across the house to each other questions things like where is the peanut butter and what time did we say we were leaving and all the other questions and the reason we would do that is because 
we would be busy doing something, and, and we didn't want to stop what we were doing, and we wanted an answer, and so we knew that the other was on the opposite side of the house, and so we'd just yell. And oftentimes, the other person would yell back, what? And then the question would be yelled again even louder. And sometimes, we'd even get upset with each other doing this. We weren't upset at all when we began asking the question, but when you yell at someone and you increase the volume, it's pretty hard to ramp up the volume without sounding like you're upset, even when you're not. And so one or the other would think, are, are you upset? No, I'm just trying to communicate, <laughs> you know. And we do this cross-house conversation, and it was, it was not good. So we've been working on stopping this yelling because what it really says to the other person is, you're not important enough for me to stop what I'm doing and come and talk to you. That's what it really says. Now, we didn't know this. We just kind of got in the habit because it saved time to yell rather than walk across the room and say, what time did we say we were going to leave? Well, where's the peanut butter? Or all the other questions that are very important that need answers to? And so we realized that unintentionally, we were really saying to the other person, you're just not really that important. I don't want to stop what I'm doing. I don't want to, I don't want to peel away from the, the important endeavor I'm after right now. So I just need an answer. So I'm going to yell, and you're going to yell back, and then I can go on with what I really want to do, because you're not that important. And we realize that's really not what we think of each other, and that's not what we want to communicate to each other. So now whenever one of us yells, we try to remind the other one, remember we're not doing this anymore? Let, let, let's, let's get together and talk even if we got to stop what we're doing. is, You know, th this, this is why God won't yell. What he really is saying is, if I'm important enough to you, you're going to stop what you're doing, and you're going to come and talk to me. And when you do that, I will talk to you. But I'm not going to yell. And what we often do is we're just so busy doing what we want to do, and every once in a while we get in trouble or something happens, and we yell, God help! And he may help, but we don't get a lot of information from him because he says, you know, I'm not important enough to you yet. This is a relationship. It's not a yelling thing. In James 4.8, it describes this very clearly. It says, come near to God, and he'll come near to you. You stop what you're doing. You carve out a little bit of time, not on your way to work, not on your way to something else, but you, you actually pause, and you say, God, I, I really want to hear from you. You draw near to him. You set aside what you're doing for a period of time. You draw near to him. And God says, all right, now I'll talk to you in a gentle whisper. This is also why God doesn't do what Elijah wanted him to do on that mountain. And with a volume of words, quantity of words, tell him all that was going on and answer all the whys to all the questions that he had. He just says, go back, do these three things. No big explanation. You know, that's, that's not the way relationships works when, when the conversation is just one-sided, where God just kind of dumps a volume of words on us and just says, here's everything that's going on. No, it's, relationships are, are back and forth. They, they really are kind of next step kinds of things to do. You know, those of you that are married or, or have good friendships, you know this. You, once you get to know somebody, you don't sit down and have long, long conversations all the time. There are periods where you have longer talks, but mostly life is just kind of a back and forth on what's going on in life and what are we going to do next, and that's the kind of relationship a real relationship is, and that's why God doesn't just answer all of our questions. Sometimes people approach God and say, God, 
until you answer every question I have, we're not going to have a relationship. To which God says, well, I guess we can have a relationship. Because that's not the way relationships work. I mean, do you ever sit down with another person and say, I need to know everything about you before we can talk? Go. you got an hour. No, that's not the way relationships work. With people or with God. So if you want all of your questions answered, God will frustrate you. He'll just tell you the next few steps. So on that mountain, God said very little, very softly, for a reason. To filter out the people who aren't really that interested from the people who really do want to know him and listen to him. So that's the volume barrier. The next barrier is the language barrier. Many of you know that last Sunday I was in Tokyo, Japan, for most of my seven days there. I did not have ears to hear because I don't know Japanese. There was a language barrier. People would talk to me, you know, if we're in the subways or on the streets or especially in a restaurant trying to figure out what to order. Um, I would speak in English and they would speak in Japanese. And I think this is one thing that's true of any language. We think that if we just speak slower and louder, suddenly the other person will understand English. Of course, that doesn't change. You can speak fast or slow. If you don't know the language, you don't know the language. So people would talk to me, and I would hear the words coming out of their mouths, but I, I just had no idea what they were saying. And that was okay because I was just a tourist. I was, I was only visiting there for seven days. It was also okay because we went to spend time with a couple who used to be at Seabreeze and are now pastoring a church in Tokyo. This is Seiji Oyama, who used to, he and his wife and kids used to be a part of Seabreeze. They moved back to Japan a number of years ago to be a part of this church and to lead it. And Seiji had ears to hear and would translate for us. Oftentimes, I'd turn to Seiji, who was with us, and say, what'd they say? And then he would just talk to them and explain to me what was going on. A very similar thing occurs when it comes to communication with God and his words. Now, God's words are recorded primarily in the Bible. And the language barrier when it comes to the Bible is not that God speaks in Japanese and you don't know Japanese, and the only copies of the Bible you can get are in Japanese. Now, you can get a copy of the Bible in almost any language. So you should have no problem reading it in the language that is your heart language. The challenge comes in understanding it. So in that way, God's words are kind of like a language in that it just takes time to learn and understand them. Not, not the language itself, not the English, but what do these words mean? The he who has ears to hear, let them hear statement that Jesus said often, and the one we're looking at is in Mark 4, verse 9, would usually be said by Jesus right after he had told one of his parables. One time, his disciples asked Jesus why he spoke in parables. So right after he said this in Mark 4, verse 9, the very next verses, Mark 4, verses 10 through 12, we read this. When he was alone, the twelve, the disciples, and the others around him, some other people who were closer to Jesus, asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. Why? So that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. So why is it that Jesus said he talked in parables? 
Well, what he says here is to keep the kingdom of God a secret to those on the outside. Well, that sounds kind of elitist, doesn't it? But if you read on, you discover that the disciples themselves had no idea what this parable meant that Jesus just talked about. And that's why they were coming to him and said, Jesus, what are you talking about? And why do you talk in parables? So Jesus is not saying, look, you 12 and maybe 20 or 30 on, on the next ring out from you, you are on the inside, and I want to talk in such a way that only you can understand. And everyone on the outside will never understand. No, because they didn't even understand. What he's saying is, I'm, I'm speaking in parables for a reason. And the reason is that those who really want to understand will do the extra work it takes to figure this out. So who discovers the secret of what the story, what the parable meant? Those, like the disciples who hung around and asked Jesus, what does that mean? The rest were not interested enough to stick around and ask for an explanation. So they kind of self-sorted themselves. Jesus wasn't saying, you, you're on the outside. You, you're on the inside. He says, let me tell a parable, and you will sort yourselves based on whether you want to understand this or not. So Jesus' explanation really is this. Only those who really want this will put in the effort that's required to understand it. The hard-hearted, the distracted, the lazy, they'll never get it. I mean, these parables aren't incredibly hard to understand. They, they take a little effort, but a lot of people just don't want to put in any effort. So I've, I've kind of moved the cookies a little up, up one shelf here. And if people aren't willing to stretch, well then I know that they're not that interested. Now, this is really true not only of the parables, but, but of the entire Bible. I mean, why is the Bible the, the primary method through which God decided to reveal himself to us? Why, why is that his method of speaking? Well, it's because the Bible itself filters out the disinterested. I mean, only those who really want this, who really want to understand God, are going to get through it, are going to read it, are going to try to understand it. But, but don't we want everyone to turn to Jesus and be forgiven? Well, yes. That's the heart of God for everyone. But God wants us and everyone to turn for only one reason, because they themselves want to. No other reason. He wants them to turn freely. And so the he who has ears to hear, let him hear, means, okay, I've just told a parable. Now, all of you who really desire God, now listen up. The rest of you, you can just zone out until I perform the next miracle or the next crisis occurs in your life. I mean, that's why the crowds would gather. <gasps> He's going to do a miracle. Or I need help. And after the miracle is performed and after the help was rendered, he would tell a parable, and they'd be, all right, no more miracles, I'm done. I don't have any more needs, I, I, I'll go back home. So he's saying, you know, the rest of you, you can just zone out. But you, the serious ones, it's time to put on your thinking cap. It's time to, time to get to work and try to figure out what this parable means so you can apply it to your life. You see, those who just want to be tourists in the matters of God, they're going to be like me in Japan. You're not going to put in the work to learn the language. You're just visiting. I mean, you'll learn konnichiwa and some of those things, but, you know, that's, you're not going to go farther than that. 
you'll never put the work it takes to learn the language of God, what he's actually said in his word. Now, let me explain something about God's word. The, the learning curve on God's word is, is not primarily intellectual. It is in part. It does take thought. If you want to follow Christ, I have to warn you, this is a thinking person's endeavor. You're going to have to use your head. You're going to have to think and try to figure things out. But the learning curve is not primarily an intellectual one. It's primarily a practical one. You know, Jesus explains this in, in John 10, 27. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Why is it that sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd? It's because they have a history. A history of what? Of following the shepherd. So if you read God's words and all you do is just kind of try to understand them, but you're not reading for change. You're not reading for, okay, where in my life do I need to make adjustments? Then you're not like sheep following a shepherd, and, and, and you're not going to really understand God's voice. That's why it's a, it's a practical learning curve. You, you can't just read it for intellectual understanding and not for change. It's not until you start doing God's words that you begin to really understand them and learn them. So if you're confused by something in the Bible, it could be intellectual. So ask for help. You know, it did me no good in Japan last week to pretend like I knew Japanese. I didn't know Japanese. You know, you've been in those conversations where you're nodding. It's like you have no clue. That doesn't help anyone. It's better just go, I don't know. Because who knows what they're asking you to do? <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. So I'd turn to Seiji and say, what are they saying? But when it comes to the words of God, you may need to do the same thing. If you don't understand something, well, ask someone else maybe who's, who understands God's word a little more. Ask them, well, what does this mean? Help me understand this. Kind of like peop the people, the disciples would approach Jesus and say, what, what did you mean? It's okay to ask. But realize this, there are going to be moments in life when you're going to need to hear from God and there will not be a Christian translator close by. You know, if I got, there were, there were moments when we went into downtown Tokyo without Seiji and we could have really used his help. But he wasn't there. Thankfully, there's this app called Google Translate, which is amazing. But there isn't a God Translate app. I mean, you, you, you know, you just can't, there, Google hasn't come up with that and won't come up with that. So put in the time and put in the effort, not only to understand God's words, but to actually do them. It's like learning a language. You, you, you just have to, you can't just learn intellectually. I mean, you, maybe you took Spanish in class, but until you start speaking Spanish, you're not going to know Spanish. It's the same thing with God's words. You have to do them. So that's the language barrier. Lastly, the agenda barrier. Like my kids, when they were young, we tend to hear only what we want to hear. And therefore, if we've got a strong agenda, it's, it's like wax in our ears. We just can't hear something that opposes that agenda. If you were here when we did the Decision 2016 series, the Sunday after the election, I spoke about the big picture of what God was doing in the world. My purpose was to to help us step back from all the political drama that was going on and, and see what it is that God's up to in this world, to give us a bigger perspective on, on what's going on. Now, I never said through this whole series who I voted for. In fact, I was intentionally vague. 
because I wanted to focus our attention, especially in that message, away from politics and on what God was doing in the world. Something much bigger, something much more important. But as I prepared that message, and as I wrote every line, I knew that it would be difficult for some people to hear what I was saying and not just sift through my words looking for clues on who I voted for. So if you come up after, I'm not going to tell you. But I, I know that it would be really hard for people because, because of why? Well, there was a lot of emotion attached to the political agendas this past election. And when you have an agenda, whether it's a political agenda or any other agenda, you listen through that filter. So no matter which side you were on in this election, you really wanted me to be on your side. And if I sounded like I wasn't, you were really upset with me. And that's why I kept bouncing back and forth. So you was like, wh where is he coming? Who is he? Wh what, what side is he on? Because I knew that you wouldn't be able to hear, some of you wouldn't be able to hear past the political drama and all the emotions that were part of this election cycle. And God knows that this is the way we are, not just about politics, but specifically about the things that we really want in life, our desires. And so he gives us a warning about this in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4. It says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. That means sound truth about God. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, when you have an itch, that's all you can think about, right? You've got to scratch that itch. Now, the itch that affects hearing is our desires. Not a physical itch, but an internal itch. And if you want something bad enough, it will rise to the top of your mind, and it will become a dominant agenda in your life. And that will affect your hearing. You will listen to whatever or whoever supports that personal agenda, whoever scratches that itch, and you will ignore and get upset with anyone who does not scratch that itch. So whenever we want to do something really bad, we don't want God saying no to our agenda. We don't want anyone saying no to our agenda. So we tend to listen with itching ears. We can only hear what scratches the itch that we arrive with. And th this is a challenge for all of us. I mean, we all have agendas. Everyone here has arrived with a set of agendas in order of importance. And if I say something that challenges something that's near the top of your agenda list, well, I, I just know that you're going to get upset. Because it doesn't scratch your itch. In fact, it irritates it. And we only hear what we want to hear. So if a teacher, speaking from God's word, isn't scratching the itch of what we want to do, then what do we do? We'll go find one that does. That's what we'll do. I mean, we'll, we'll call it something else. Well, nobody is honest enough to say, you know what, I don't, I don't like what they're saying. Some people will, but most people will be like, uh, they'll find some other smokescreen reason to get upset and go listen to somebody else. Now, sadly, you can always find someone who will twist God's word to say what you want to hear and make you feel better about what you want to do. 
How many teachers did it say they could find to scratch their itching ears? A great number of teachers. There's always people who will say what you want to hear. One of the things that's going on in our culture right now is our culture is developing an ever-increasingly strong itch about sexual desires. I mean, this, this is the dominant itch of our culture right now. Whether it's marriage issues, whether it's sexual orientation issues, whether it's even am I male or female issues or something else. Now, honestly, there are some things in Scripture that are a little foggy, but God could not be much clearer on this, on this one. I mean, people who don't even read the Bible pretty much knows what the Bible says about these matters. And so what that means is when, it, say, it comes to this issue that's, that's huge in our culture right now is I can't scratch that itch and be faithful to Scripture. So if you're looking for a place that will tell you what you want to hear and will be acceptable by our culture, I just, I just have to tell you, this is not that place. Now, we will love everyone, and we will treat everyone with utmost kindness and respect because everyone, no matter what itch they come with, is made in the image of God and has dignity and deserves to be treated right. But we, have, we are gathering to listen to the ruler of heaven and earth, the creator of all things. We've gathered to listen to him, not our culture. So if some Sunday, and maybe this is the Sunday, you find yourself getting upset as you listen to me or as you read the Bible, just be sure you check your motives and make sure you're listening, not scratching an itch. Now, let me ask you this. Which of these three is your biggest hearing barrier? Is it the volume barrier? I mean, you're moving so fast in life that you just don't take time to stop what you're doing, slow down, and to hear God's gentle whisper. Well, if that's your big problem, your biggest barrier, then I challenge you to set aside some time this week to draw near to God. Stop the yelling, because God's not a yeller. Take the time this week. Is it the language barrier? It hasn't been a long time since you've changed something in your life because of what God has said in his word. I mean, can you think of what the last thing was? How long ago was that where you, you made a substantive change about something you were doing in life because of something that you read or heard from God's word? If it's been a long time since you've done that, then you need to get back to language learning. And one of the things a number of, of us are doing here is reading through the book of Proverbs as we head to the end of the year. And whatever the date is, that's the chapter in Proverbs that we're reading. So you might want to just join us as we finish. Proverbs has all kinds of practical applications. So just read through the chapter for that day in Proverbs and ask God, show me, is there something I can do out of what's been said here? And try to make an application. Or is it the agenda barrier? Is there something that you really, really want that's warping your hearing, that's wax in your spiritual ears? Be honest about it. You don't, don't pretend that it's not. Be honest about that desire and tell God that you want to do his will more than you want to do your will. And then get back to listening to God's word. So I don't encourage you on the listening guide. Maybe just circle the one. 
If you're afraid that someone close to you will see what you circle and will talk to you about it, then just circle it in your mind and identify which one that you need to work on. Now, before we um, pray, I wanted to make you aware of, of um, something that occurred on the campus here yesterday. There was a fire that occurred in our outdoor kitchen yesterday during Upward Basketball. Uh, George, who was the caterer, is our caterer for that event, and one of his employees, Ivan, were the only people that were injured in that fire. George was the closest to the fire, and he sustained first and second degree burns on both of his arms. His employee uh, was treated for a burn on his elbow and released. So while these burns are serious, uh, it, it could have been much, much worse. I mean, there's propane tanks and all kinds of stuff out there in the outdoor kitchen. So we are very grateful for God's protection, and I wanted to ask you to, to pray for George's uh, quick recovery. So join me as we pray. Father, we, um, we do thank you for your hand of protection yesterday. So often we think that we're safe, and the truth is we're just ignorant. We don't know how precarious life really is. And then something occurs and reminds us how fragile things are. And we just thank you for your hand of protection, that the fire did not spread, that the propane canisters did not ignite more. And God, we just pray for George, that you would grant quick healing of his skin, that you would uh, minimize the damage. We know at first it looked like it was going to be so much worse, and we're just so grateful that it was not. And so we just pray for Upward Basketball as they gather again next Saturday to, to play the games, that you would, uh, you would gather uh, the, the kids and their families, and that this would be something that would grow us and not uh, cause problems uh, in that program. We just ask for your continued protection. And Father, we thank you for speaking to us for being someone who speaks in a gentle voice rather than, than yells to us, for someone who's willing to uh, speak in a way that we really can't understand. And we just pray that whatever our barriers, that you would help us to push through that barrier so that we can hear from you. Because as Moses said, and then as Jesus repeated, we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from your mouth. We need to hear from you. Without your words, we're just left with our best guesses about how to live life in a way that really matters. So open our ears, we pray. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.